let's dive into this new series. Uh, we're calling it Lead Like Jesus. And today we're specifically gonna talk about being a servant leader. And so this series is all about becoming a better leader so that we can lead ourselves, so we can lead our homes, and whatever God puts in our hands in a way that honors him. Now, the first thing that I always like to address when we talk about leadership is that there's already a group of you here today who have checked out because you think to yourself, I'm not a leader. I guarantee you there's somebody in the room that, man, when you're, we talk about leadership, you're just like, oh, I, this doesn't pertain to me because I'm not a leader. But listen, I cannot overstate and even if you don't see yourself as a leader, you could probably share this sentiment that, that I cannot overstate the impact that leaders have had on my life. I can assure you beyond a shadow of a doubt, I would not be here today if somebody had not led strong. If somebody had not answered the call of God, if somebody had not put their interests and their schedule aside and poured into my life, I wouldn't be standing here today. Man, with leaders in my life, like, like pastors and small group leaders and Sunday school teachers, and man, we've had, we had good times. We had adventures. I did so many firsts with leaders in my life. I can't even count. I went skiing for the first time. I went on my first missions trip. I, I did so many things. Why? Because somebody said, I'm going to put my needs aside and put somebody else first. I'm going to lead. You know, the first time I, I preached in front of people, it was horrible. But it happened all because a leader believed in me and said, hey, I'm gonna give you this opportunity. The first time I ever led a small group, it happened because somebody said, hey, Joe, I think you can do this. The first time that I ever had a really hard conversation with somebody where, and it wasn't my mom and dad, and they were speaking truth into my life that was hard to hear, it was because a leader was bold enough to speak the truth. Stability, strength, clarity, all these things that are so important in all of our lives came because I had a leader in my life that was leading the way, that brought clarity, that brought stability, that brought trust, that brought security in my life. Now, does God bring all those things? Absolutely. But sometimes it's just so nice to have a leader to follow that is setting the example, who is secure, who is stable, who is healthy, and is pointing you towards Christ. Man, I still remember, and I was, I was kind of rearranging some stuff in my office, and, I, and so I was moving some books, and I've, I got a stack of Bibles that, that I don't necessarily read all of them all the time, but I, I keep them because they're special to me. And one of them is this old black Bible that says Holy Bible in gold, and then in the bottom right, it has my name engraved in gold, right? <laughs> And this thing is so old, but that, that was my first real Bible. And you know who gave it to me? My Sunday school teacher in kindergarten. Now, I don't know what she was really thinking because in the kindergarten, I could not understand the King James, <laughs> right? But hey, I read it and I dove in and I did my best. Why? Because a leader thought of me. Because a leader invested in me. You know, peers, I've had, I've had peers that invested in my life. Back when I lived in Wisconsin and I was a youth pastor, um, I had a, a, a youth pastor friend invite me to a peer-to-peer -peer coaching group. And that coaching group changed the trajectory of my life and my leadership forever. It opened up a whole new world. 
to think that I could get her together with peers and we're not in competition and we're just making each other better. We're having hard conversations. We're presenting our ideas. We're challenging each other. We're, we're diving into what God has, had, has us to do. Why? Because leaders are learners and leaders have to get better. I've had leaders that I've led that challenged me by their example, that challenged me, man, small group leaders that gave and gave and gave of their time and their, their resources and, their, and their, their heart. And just when normal people would be empty and not have nothing else to give, it seemed like they had always had something more to give and something more to offer. And they're sacrificed and the cost that they were willing to pay just challenged me to my core. And those were people that I was leading. But here's what I know. There's a leadership vacuum in the world today. And it's in the church too. There's a leadership vacuum in the world. Ma Jesus saw this too. In Matthew chapter 9, it, it tells us that Jesus looked out over a crowd of people. And guess what? It says he, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Translated into our vernacular, there was a big group of people and they didn't have anybody to lead them. And so what did Jesus do then? Did Jesus say, well, I'm the savior of the world. I'm going to step up and I'm going to lead all these people. No. He turned to his disciples and he said, pray to God. Pray that God would send workers. Why? Because the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So let's get this right. Jesus, the savior of all mankind, saw people needing leaders, and instead of stepping out and saying, hey, come and follow me, which he did say that, but he knew that, man, he was investing in these 12 disciples, and there were these multitudes, and he couldn't lead them all individually the same, and so what did he do? Turns to his disciples and say, hey, pray. Pray that God, the Lord of the harvest, would send more workers into his harvest fields, because the harvest is great, but the Workers are few. So the great shepherd tells the disciples to pray for more shepherds. You know, our motto here at Mosaic Church is to love God, to love people, and to lead the way. To love God, love people, and lead the way. And so this series obviously is really focused on that lead the way part. What does that look like? You know, sometimes it's, it's easy to understand, hey, I'm going to love God. Why? He deserves it, right? Just flat out. He's amazing. And then I'm going to love people. Why? Because Jesus told me to, right? Even those people that are hard to lead, even those people that we call EGRs, the extra grace required people, right? And so, yeah, even those people, okay, I'm going to love that. Okay, God, because you said so. Okay, I'll do it. And then God's like, lead the way. And it's like, whoa. And it's kind of hard. But he said, lead the way. And not only that, Jesus came and he modeled what it looks like to be a great leader, you know, Jesus is the greatest leadership model of all time. And almost every great leadership principle that you will find in this world in any leadership book, you can probably trace back to Jesus. Why? Because truth is truth, and he was the embodiment of truth. And here's what we're going to kind of dive in today, what it looks like to be a servant leader, and which is really about the heart. And, and here's a premise that we need to stand on today, that why you lead is way more important than what you lead. 
And this is what Jesus modeled. Why you lead is way more important than what you lead. Why is so powerful. Because if your why is big enough, you can do any what. What do the Proverbs tell us in, in, in Proverbs 4.23? It says, above all else, guard your heart. For everything that you do flows from it. So if I'm gonna lead the way, I've gotta remember my heart. I've gotta guard it because my leadership, everything I do is gonna flow from my heart. That's a really fancy way to say why you do what you do really matters. At the deepest parts of you, the reasons that motivate you, the things that drive you really, really matter. Other verses say it like this. Um, In Proverbs, it says, without vision, people perish. Without the vision, people cast off restraint. Another version says, without vision, people run amok. They run crazy. They just go wild. Without direction, without a why, or an inner compass inside of me, deep in my heart, directing me, then I'm wandering aimlessly. And so we're really asking ourselves why. Why? Because when you're completely convinced of the why, it fuels every other part of your life, and especially your leadership. Listen, if you want to live for yourself, if it's all about you, you know, buying a house and getting the cars and, and having the job and, and just accumulating more and more and more. And if, if, if just you and your comfort is the, is the end goal of life, then this message is really irrelevant. And you can, um, you can check back in next week because uh, it's just not going to apply. But if you want to make a difference, if you want your life to be more than about just now, if you want to lead some people somewhere better and and the the caveat here is that the best thing that I've found in life is Christ and so if that's true of you if you want to make a difference if you want to lead somebody somewhere if you want to lead your family somewhere if you want to lead yourself somewhere that is meaningful that is timeless that is has eternal value then your motives really matter Because when Jesus talks about being a servant leader, that's what it's all about. What does your heart want? What are the motives of your life? Patrick Lencioni, he's a great author of uh, business books. He's a great consultant. And um, uh, he's a Catholic brother in Christ. And, but man, he is, he is big time. He he consults some of the biggest uh, corporations and, and companies on the planet. And he wrote a book called The Motive. And this was one of his his more recent books, but when he wrote it, he actually said it should have been his first book. And so in this book, he unpacks two motivations that drive people to lead. And remember when I said that leadership principles, if they're good, they probably come from Christ? Just keep that in mind. And so Patrick Lencioni unpacks in his book, The Motive, these two motivations that drive people to lead. The first is responsibility-based leadership, which you could really replace the word responsibility for servant-based leadership. Why? Because responsibility-based leadership means that you want to serve and care for the people that you lead. You want to serve and care for the people that you lead. What did Jesus do? We're going to hear later that he gave his life as a ransom for many. I already talked about how he, he kneeled at the disciples' feet and he washed their feet. Jesus went around all day, every day for three and a half years during his ministry serving people's needs. He came to serve and not be served. People who 
have a, a responsibility-based leadership motive, that that's really what's flowing out of their heart, they ask questions like, how can I help, right? They have hard conversations sometimes because the truth is more loving than a lie. People that really serve and care for the people that they lead, they help outside of their job description, right? They do things that, you know, sometimes they don't have time for, for others, whether it's their kids or their spouse or their, their, their coworkers or, or their direct reports or you fill in the blank. They prioritize what is convenient for others rather than what's convenient for them, right? And then the second motive for leadership is rewards-based leadership. Remember, two motivations, two types of people when it comes to leadership, those that are responsibility-based and those that are rewards-based. And so what does rewards-based leadership look like? This means that you wanna be rewarded by the perks and the power of leading. And you can already tell by that description that this is the antithesis of servant-based leadership. People who are in it for the rewards, who wanna lead because of what it gets them, they say things like, I don't have time for that, right? Because in reality, you and I, we all make time for what's important. People that are in it for the rewards, they say things like, do you know how long I've been here? They say things like, I don't get paid for that, or that's not my job. People who are in it for the rewards get defensive and they, they don't like to be questioned. Why? Because they, they're way more concerned about their comfort than they are about the character or the integrity of their leadership. People who are in it for the rewards believe that leadership makes their life more comfortable and better. Now, I can tell you from firsthand experience that the more responsibility that you have in leadership, life does not get easier. Man, I'm super sorry to burst your bubble today. If you were coming for a feel-good message that, man, Jesus just always makes everything better, then this probably isn't the message for you. Because when you say, God, I surrender all, and I wanna do life your way, and I wanna go where you want me to go, and I wanna lead how you want me to lead, guess what? Life is probably gonna get harder, not, be not just better and more comfortable. Now, is it better? Absolutely, it's the best kind of life you could ever live because you'll be more full of purpose and more full of direction and more full of clarity than you've ever been in your life. But leadership, God's way, won't always make your life more comfortable and better in the material sense. Back at uh, my last church, back in Illinois, I was there for 12 years. We had an amazing privilege and it was just a miracle uh, I still believe to this day it really didn't have that much to do with us. God blessed us. And the church grew from about 300 people to over 1,500 people in, in a, a pan, span of about 10 years. And we were just blown away. And we're like, God, we're pinching ourselves like, God, what are you doing? Thanks for letting us be a part. This is amazing. But as the church grew and we brought on staff and we brought on people that, man, they were, they were chomping at the bit to be a part of a great church. But once they experienced what it took and the, the demands and the, 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 what, what that, the cost of leadership was when, when man, things grow and, and there's more on your plate. We, we kind of coined this phrase that everyone wants to work at a big church until they work at a big church. <laughs> Why? Because if you're in it for the rewards, that motive will only take you so far. 
trust me, trust me, it will never be as good as you thought it was gonna be. You will always be found wanting. And so people can get far materially on rewards-based leadership, but it's not God's model. Because some of you are saying, well, Joe, I've done pretty good. Something's screaming at me up here. I don't know what it is, but it's distracting me. Um, but, you know, people can get far on rewards-based uh, leadership because they, they, they get a bigger salary, they get a better house, they get a better car, they have more free time, they get control of their schedule. All those things, man, those are awesome. But that in and of itself is not God's model, and it's not very fulfilling. What we see in Scripture is that when you bend down to serve, God can lift you up to lead. It says it like this in 1 Peter 5, 6. So humbly, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. And so like Jesus and like the Bible so often does, it takes our natural kind of course of thinking and flips it upside down on its head. Humble yourself, and God will lift you up. In Matthew 20, this is how it happens with Jesus. And this is how Jesus taught his disciples. It says, Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons, and she knelt respectfully to ask a favor. Now, right there, we can already see that the mother of James and John was a super big fan of rewards-based leadership. Why? Because she's asking a favor, which is, by nature, rewards-based. What is your request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom. Now remember, her view of his kingdom was earthly. She was thinking that he was gonna come and he was gonna rule and reign a physical, earthly kingdom and he was gonna be the boss on earth. And so in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in place of honor, once again, asking for a reward, next to you, one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered by saying, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied. We are able. Man, I remember having that kind of attitude in my 20s. Like, oh, I could do it. Come on, give it to me. Pour it on. I am able. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. What a hard pill for them to swallow, right? When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. And I'm sure that you probably experienced this kind of workplace drama at some point in your life where people uh, at your workplace are clamoring for position or clamoring for title or clamoring for, for uh, better everything. And so obviously the other disciples were mad but Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. I love that, underline that. But among you, it will be different. Remember, Jesus, didn't, he didn't say it's different now because he was in the middle of the hard conversation. He was in the middle of, of changing the worldview. He was in the middle of changing their thought patterns. But he said, it will be different someday. 
Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Wow. Jesus turns the leadership paradigm upside down and basically says, hey, don't even desire to be at that right and left place right next to me. He says, desire to serve, desire to lay your life down for others. Later on, he models it by kneeling at the disciples' feet and washing their feet. And so what do we understand from this? That if you lead for any other reason than to serve others, you will never be a great leader. There will always be a lid to your leadership. If you have any other motive, if you have anything else in your heart, if there's any bit of, man, I, I want the power, or I want the rewards, or I want this or that. <clears throat> now, is it, is it natural to be tempted towards some of those things? Absolutely, and so am I. I'm not some perfect human that never gets tempted by, by wanting things to be better, right? But... I've got to check my motives. I've got to check my heart. I remember I have to guard my heart because it's the wellspring of life. And I've got to remember that if, if I lead for any other reason to serve others, then I'm not going to be a great leader and there's going to be this lid. There's going to be this lid on my leadership. There's going to be lid on my fulfillment. There's going to be lid, most importantly, on my impact. <clears throat> what do we see from this passage? That it's impossible to lead like Jesus if you won't serve like Jesus. It's impossible to lead like Jesus if you won't serve like Jesus. So what did Jesus do? He washed people's feet. He listened to people. He went places with people. He had conversations with people. Some of them were awesome where he was the hero and he was healing and he was helping. And then some of them were kind of hard where he was, he was rebuking and he was um, uh, correcting. He was realistically available. Now, were there times when Jesus made himself unavailable? Yeah, he'd go off to pray. He'd go off and, and spend time with Jesus. He would, he would do his things. But he was realistically available when he could be. Another principle that we learn from this passage is that you're never more like Jesus than when you serve. You're never more like Jesus than when you serve. And so for us that have been around church for a while, sometimes we get, we get different versions of what it means to be like Jesus. You know, some people think, man, to be like Jesus is to come to church dressed just right, you know, and kind of looking the part. And I mean, I'm going to stand at the right times. I'm going to clap at the right times. I'm going to smile at the right times. I'm going to have the right thing to say at the right times. I'm going to pray just right, like, like so-and-so did when I was growing up, <clears throat> right? But listen, <clears throat> being like Jesus isn't spending another hour in worship. <clears throat> That's amazing. And just like Mary, we need to sit at the feet of Jesus. But that's not the totality of what it looks like to be like Jesus. No, being like Jesus isn't just when you pray a certain way. Thank God. Because I don't pray just like some of the amazing prayer warriors that I've, I've seen in my life. No, being like Jesus isn't just when you gain the respect of the people that you want respect from. Being like Jesus is when you serve and when you lay your life down. One preacher went as far to say that a non-serving Christian is a contradiction of terms, right? 
For a long time, we used to say on our teams that if you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. And so, if servant leadership really is the model, then how would you know if you're a servant leader versus a reward-centered leader? Let's give ourselves some practical kind of handles to go with today so that we know what this looks like when we flesh this out in our life. And so the first thing, servant leaders are always trying to lift others up. <clears throat> servant leaders are always trying to lift others up. Now, in Romans 12.10, it says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. And so we, we see this model, lift each other's up, serve others, just like Jesus did. He was constantly trying to lift. He was constantly trying to speak into other people's lives. Reward-centered leaders don't want others to look good. They're way more concerned about how they look and how they come across and whether or not they're getting propped up. Sometimes, though, <clears throat> when, when, when servant leaders are trying to lift others up, and I've seen this, you know, we were like, okay, I'm going to lift others up, but hey, I'm going to lift them up because if they serve or if they lead, it's going to help me out. And so there's all kinds of little ways that, man, we can, you know, start to um, uh, let those old motives creep in because we're doing the right thing on the outside, but on the inside, we're still out for ourselves. And so this is a tough thing to balance. This is a tough thing to, 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 to really look inside of yourself and really the only person that knows whether you're trying to lift others up or whether, whether you're in it for yourself is you. Because you might look at another leader in your life and be like, oh man, they're being so selfish, but you just don't know the whole story. And so you gotta look at yourself, you gotta look at your own heart and be like, God, am I, am I trying to lift others up because I really care about their best? Or am I trying to lift others up just because it helps me? S servant leaders that try to lift others up, they're the kind of people that go from, you know, here I am when I walk in the room and here's what's going on in my life to there you are and what's going on in your life and how can I help? We all love people that say, there you are. I know your name. I know what's going on in your life. How's it going? Right? People that remember People that think about it now, some of you are like, I can't ever remember anybody's name. And that's, you know, people have varying levels of ability when it comes to remembering other, everybody's names. But you could try, you could do your best. And hey, you could try to not, maybe if you don't remember the name, maybe you remember something that you talked about with them and, and you're gonna bring it up and you're gonna try to lift them up and encourage them in that thing that they're struggling with. The second thing that we see servant leaders do in real life is, is they find their approval in one place, which is God. A very real trap that people who attempt to do servant leadership can fall into is people-pleasing. People-pleasing. We try to serve everybody so much, and we think, man, I'm being like Jesus, and I'm just meeting everybody's needs all the time. And because of our human nature, we so subtly slide into this place where we go from serving people, which is caring for them and think and trying to lift them up and, and bring them towards Christ, to just making people happy. Now, and so servant leaders have to find their approval in one place, God. Why? Because reward-centered leaders believe that their self-worth equals my performance plus the approval of others. 
You see, this is how the two are so connected. This is how sometimes it can be so deceptive. It's like, I'm serving everybody, but man, I, I'm just still getting my feelings hurt all the time. And I'm just all, I'm all bound up with, with, with worrying about whether everybody is happy all the time. And that's why if you're really gonna serve others, you got to remember that your approval can only come from one place, and that's God. Paul says it like this in Galatians 1.10. He said, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If people pleased and were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. So primarily, Paul saw himself as Christ's servant. And out of his love for Christ, he then was a servant leader to others. But the premise was that he was leading people towards Christ, not just serving everybody's needs to make them feel better. And there's a massive difference. Listen, as you lead, and even as you're a servant leader, there is rarely a time when everyone loves your decisions. Many of you know this, anytime that you try to get the family together to go out to eat, right? You're trying to serve your family, you're trying to treat them, hey guys, let me take you out to eat, we're gonna have a great time, this is gonna be awesome, and in your mind you have these, these visions of laughter and great food, and you're sitting around the table, and it's just, oh, family time, isn't it amazing? And then, and then, you ask, where do you guys wanna go out to eat? And what do they say? Everyone has a different opinion. And guess what? Somebody's driving to the restaurant angry, especially if your family is my, like mine and is very passionate about food, right? It's like, or how about, it's like movie night. We're gonna have a movie as a family. And how many of you have a, a great record of everybody wanting to watch the same movie? I have a junior, a freshman, and a sixth grader. We never want to watch the same movie, right? And so sometimes when you're trying to serve people and you're trying to get everybody together, go in the same direction, guess what? Everybody's not happy all the time. And so in those moments, you gotta remember, hey, I'm not serving them to get their approval. I'm not serving them to get to just be, make everybody happy all the time. I'm serving them to point them towards Christ. Listen, if trivial disapprovals derail you, if trivial disapprovals derail you, then consequential disapprovals will destroy you. If you can't handle the little things that people disapprove of you that are trivial, like how I look, or my preferences, or my style, or my uniqueness. So if you're attacking me because of those things, or if you're disapproving of me because of those things, and, it, and it's a preference, or it's a style thing, or it's, a, or it's a, um, just how I look, you know, because sometimes people are really petty. Um, you know, I don't like that guy's voice. I don't, I don't you know, oh, it just annoys, they, they, just the sound of their voice annoys me. Like, if somebody's saying that, it's like, hey, it's not gonna derail me. But if, if they're disapproving of the consequential things, what I believe, my reason for living, my purpose, then I better be rooted in God's approval for me. I better be rock solid, built on the foundation of what God says rather than what people say. Because if I'm trying to serve them and if I'm trying to lead them someplace towards Christ and they disapprove of me, it will destroy me if my feet aren't built on a firm foundation. You know what I've noticed about people whose approval is rooted in Christ? They have this distinctive mark on their life. And you know what it is? Peace. Peace. That when things happen 
and when things that are tough happen and, and they're trying to serve others, but it doesn't always work out so great, you know, it's hard and their stomach might turn a little bit sometimes, but they've got this peace that they know they're gonna get through it. The third thing, that what do we do? How do we know for a servant leader versus a reward-centered leader? Is that servant leaders love, they love evaluation and feedback because it allows them to improve for the benefit of others. Think about Jesus' interaction in Matthew chapter 20 that we just read earlier. How awkward. Can you imagine? Mom comes on behalf of son and daughter, lobbies for this special position with Jesus. Everybody else gets angry. Jesus calls the whole family together and has a come to Jesus meeting, right? Uh, you know, have you ever heard that term, let's have a come to Jesus meeting? Well, hey, this maybe is where it came from. Jesus pulls everybody together in the room and tells everybody what's up. And no one left that room feeling like they weren't spoken to, <laughs> right? Everyone got a piece of Jesus's mind that day. And, and they all probably came in the room thinking they were right and they were justified and they were the ones and they all got a hard word. And so servant leaders, they say, man, it's okay when Jesus tells me that I need to be humble. It's okay when Jesus speaks that hard word in my life that I need to focus on being last and not first, right? In the business world, um, sometimes they, they, they call this the tunnel of chaos. That if I have a behavior or if I have an idea that I'm bringing or if I have something that I'm contributing and it should be able to stand up to really rigorous questions and, and it should be able to be challenged, it should be able to be evaluated, I should be able to take feedback, right? In the business world they call this, sometimes they call it red teaming. A red team, they, they just try to pick apart ideas and make them better and, and, and bring evaluation feedback to the table that is, gonna, that is gonna refine it and sharpen it and make it better. And so you and I, if we're gonna be servant leaders, we gotta be like, God, speak. Whatever hard word I need to hear, whatever evaluation, whatever feedback that is gonna be a, make me a better servant of you and other people, bring it on. Bring it on. Some people say, well, Joe, that sounds kind of judgy. That sounds kind of, and didn't Jesus say don't judge? Listen, Jesus did warn his disciples to not judge. But in that instance, he was talking about pious, self-righteous judgment. Not the kind of iron sharpening iron relationship that is helping you get better and look more like Christ. And so servant leaders love to receive evaluation and feedback now, I'll be the first to admit that in my life, I get a little defensive sometimes. But usually I go home and I think about it and I'm like, you know, they're, they're probably right here. And, you know, here's maybe an area where, um, you know, I feel like I'm right. And, and after I prayed with it, and, you know, it's like there's this give and take. But it's hard to receive evaluation and feedback when it goes against your preference. It is. But we see in the scripture that Jesus had hard conversations with his disciples all the time. On the flip side, reward-centered leaders despise hard or negative feedback because it's all about them. They get defensive. They treat everything as a threat. There's no self-introspection. And so these are the kind of the hallmarks of a servant leader. But what keeps us from being a servant leader? 
The first thing that keeps you and I from being servant leaders is pride, plain and simple, which is self-dependence. I got this. I can do this. I'm good. The second thing that, that keeps people from being a servant leader is fear. And so, and between pride and fear, you see a balance because pride says, I got it. I could do it all. Fear says, I'm afraid to do it, right? And, and so what Jesus is calling us to is a healthy dependence on him. That we're not bound up with pride and running to our own drum. And we're not so fearful that we won't step out and do what God has called us to do. I love what it says in Proverbs 29, 25. It says, the fear of human opinion disables, but trusting in God protects you from that. Love that. I'm gonna trust God, which means I'm dependent on him and not my own talents and abilities. And I'm not gonna be afraid of human opinion because that's gonna disable me. But I'm gonna be fully dependent on him, which is gonna protect me from that crushing spirit of just being paralyzed, right? And so church, I wanna challenge you today. Let's go back to just that original thought. When you, bend, when you bend down to serve, God can lift you up to lead. And so think about what's in your heart. What's flowing out? Where do you need to guard your heart? Where do you need to, 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 to sit at Jesus' feet and hear from him and then, and then turn around and sit at somebody else's feet and serve them? Why do we do this? Because Jesus bent down for you. Because Jesus left his throne on high. He left his throne in heaven. He took on flesh just like you and me. He walked through life, endured all the same trials and tribulations that you and I do. And then he walked that road to the cross. He carried his cross. He was nailed to the cross. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was flogged. He did all that to serve you. Why? Because he didn't come to be served like we would think a king would. He didn't come to just have everybody serve him. He came to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then when Jesus left, he said, go thou and do likewise, right? As he served the disciples, he said, this is the way. This is the way. As he gave his life, he was very clear that he was setting the example. And so some of you need to start right there today because it's gonna be really hard to serve like Jesus if you haven't began to follow Jesus. And so if you're here today and you're like, man, if Jesus is like that for me, if Jesus was a servant leader and gave his life for my ransom, then I wanna give my life to him. I wanna serve him, I wanna live for him, I wanna make him my savior, I wanna make him my Lord. Because that's really what this all flows out of, right? The fact that Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. And so if you could bow your heads and close your eyes today, if that's you and, and you say, Joe, I wanna put Jesus first in my life, I wanna follow him. I wanna begin a relationship with Jesus today. If that's you, if you could just Raise your hand and say, Joe, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus today. Anybody? Because Jesus did all this for me. I want to give my life to him. If you're watching with us online today, this, this, just because you're online doesn't leave you out 
of this decision. And so right there in your living room or wherever you're watching from, I wanna encourage you, if you wanna give your heart and your life to Christ, something from the, the worship or the message today has just made it abundantly clear to you that it's time to start following Jesus. If that's you right in your living room, you can lift your hand and say, God, that's me. And there's nothing special about lifting a hand. It's the posture of your heart saying, God, here I am. I surrender my life to you. And so if that's you today and you wanna give your life to Jesus, you could pray a simple prayer and you could say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again on the third day. I accept your free gift of salvation. I believe that you can forgive me and I trust you for that forgiveness. Help me, Lord, to live the rest of the days of my life for you, honoring your word and putting you first. I surrender all to you in Jesus' name. One more prayer point today before we close. If, if you're here today and you're like, Joe, man, I have not been a very good ser servant leader lately. I've really been more focused on the rewards and, and I wanna make a fresh commitment to servant leadership, whether it's leading my kids, whether it's leading my spouse, whether it's leading at work or, or wherever it might be. If that's you and you just would like to pray a prayer, my hand's up today. And so if that's you, Raise your hand as you pray a closing prayer of this message. God, help us to be servant-minded. Help us to put others first. Help us to not just try to make other people happy, but lead them towards you, to help lead them into a real relationship with Christ. God, as we turn the corner towards school in a few weeks and, and, and fall, God, I pray that you help us to, to get a real clear vision of how you want us to serve others, whether it be on a ministry team or in a life group or at work. God, whatever you want us to do, help us to be better servant leaders that honor you and point people to Jesus. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us online at Mosaic Church. We hope today's message was life-changing and useful. For more info, visit mosaiccincinnati.com.